continuing our series in the book of Revelation uh, this weekend. And uh, Benjamin Franklin is quoted as uh, saying this, in this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. How many would say like, yep, amen. Here's the thing. I can't really argue with Benjamin Franklin. He's much smarter than I am. But I think there's one more thing that I would add to the quote. In this world, you will face nothing is certain, uh, nothing is more certain than death and taxes and suffering. Isn't that true? Death and taxes and suffering or pain. In fact, Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 33 said, In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said, Count on it. It's part of living in a broken world. In this existence that we are in, that we all at times and seasons face periods of pain or suffering. You think about the diagnosis of a disease that comes out of the blue. Maybe it was cancer. You think about the the unspeakable pain that can come from infidelity or divorce. You think about the sting of, of hearing the boss say, We've got to let you go. And your whole world, in an instant, it just feels like it's turned upside down, right? Or you think about having to say goodbye to your loved one for the very last time. I just was on the phone yesterday with somebody who lost their dad. Just totally heartbroken and just totally out of the blue. Or you think about just dealing with daily bouts sometimes of intense loneliness or anxiety or depression. It's one thing that's sure in this life is that we will face suffering. And even if it's not just the stuff kind of out there in the world that happens to us, sometimes, sometimes, honestly, there's suffering that we bring upon ourselves, right? And then there's a whole other layer of suffering and hardship that sometimes can come as a result of trying to follow Jesus with your life, right? I mean, you think about it. Sometimes there's persecution that you face in the workplace or in the school or family gatherings, even family. I, I, I've, I've always joked saying that I want to write a book one day called when, Bla- when Being a Christian Makes You the Black Sheep of the Family or being excluded from friendships. People that, man, you, you've done life with for a long time, but then for some reason they just stop calling, they stop inviting you over, and it's because of some of the values or morals that you hold because you're trying to follow Jesus, and so you get excluded. Or just the confusion and darkness sometimes that comes into all of our lives as followers of Christ when we're, when we're wrestling with doubts, when we're wrestling with real fears, even in our own faith. Suffering and pain is real. And as we step into the book of Revelation, chapter 14, what we're going to discover is a way for us to deal with those things and to rise above those things. In Revelation chapter 14 and throughout the journey that we've been on over these last weeks, we see all kinds of difficulty, hardship, suffering. John was receiving this revelation from Jesus, and he was sharing it with the seven churches who were going through a very difficult period themselves. And yet what he was projecting and pointing towards was another time in the future as well, when life would get even more brutal and hard. 
And so he's giving them some clues on how it will be and how we can be prepared, but also how we can deal with suffering and pain in the here and now. And in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6 and 7, it kind of sets the stage and there's three different angels that make announcements in chapter 14. And we just want to focus on this one in particular for a moment. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel, which is the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That Jesus came to this world, lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, not because he was a sinner, but because we are, and then rose from the grave to offer forgiveness and hope to everybody that puts their hope and trust in him. That's the eternal gospel. And it says this, this messenger, in the midst of the book of Revelation, in the midst of all this chaos and suffering and pain, that he, is, he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those that were living on the earth, to every tribe, every nation, every language, every people. And it says, he said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come, worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. And so this angel is proclaiming the eternal gospel and calling people to glorify God and to turn to him. In the Bible, in fact, the word angel simply means messenger. And you know who else are messengers? You and me. His church. People that have received his forgiveness and his hope. We're called to be his messengers. And so the question is, just like John was writing to those seven churches who were going through a period of great suffering and hardship, and yet the gospel was being proclaimed still by the angel, and John wanted the church to continue to proclaim the good news. So the question is, how do you and I do that when we're going through hardship? When we're facing suffering, how do we continue to hold the hope of the gospel, the light of God's love and truth high? Even, that makes an impact, doesn't it? I mean, when you see somebody that's going through a horrendous time, and it's not that they're being just ultimate optimist, they're realistic, and yet in the face of what they're they're going through, they still have hope and joy. That in and of itself is a powerful witness of the gospel to other people. So how can we do that? Well, I think as we look in, in the rest of the chapter, we're going to see three things that can help us continue to be a witness in the midst of our own pain and suffering. Look at chapter 14, verse 1 with me. And this is what it says, Then I saw the Lamb... Standing on Mount Zion. And with him, it says, were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. These 144,000, lots of debate on who they are, but ultimately they represent those that have been redeemed, those that have put their faith and hope in Jesus. And John gains this vision into heaven, and he says, And I saw the Lamb standing on Mount Zion. This is significant. You go all the way back to chapters 3 and 4, where it says, And I saw one, a Lamb that looked like it had been slain, but then he was standing. And here again, in chapter 14, verse 1, John sees the Lamb of God again. And what's he doing? He is standing. 
To stand is a, is a sign of victory. It's actually a military term here. And so what John is saying is, I saw Jesus, the Lamb of God, and he was standing. He was victorious. And where was he standing? He was standing on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is known to be kind of the epicenter of God's kingdom forever and ever and ever. And so what, what John is seeing here in this vision is that Jesus is standing in the place of power and authority. And it leads us to the first thing that we need to do if we're going to continue to be a witness in the midst of our own pain and suffering, and that is live as though Jesus occupies the throne. This is why we, we come together and we sing songs. Like we're just singing that song, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. It said that there was one line in there that caught my attention. It said, I'll sing through the night. We're going to talk about singing in a minute. But it's reorienting ourselves and remembering who, who's on the throne. Last night at, four, at about 4 a.m., we get a text message both Lisa and I, uh, from our son Carter. He's down at his cousin's. He's with his Mimi. It's the first time we've let him go away for a little while because he's really been struggling with some anxiety. He's had a hard time sleeping. He's seen a counselor. He's not, keep this here. But he's been doing so much better. And last night we get this call. And he's texting us back and forth. He's like, Mom, I just feel like I'm going to go crazy. I, I can't get to sleep. I, every, I, everything in the house, every sound I hear, and I just can't go to sleep. And we're two hours away, and it's 4 a.m., and I'm like, okay, two hours, 4 a.m. I could, I could drive there. I could be there by 6, which means I'm not back till 6 to 7, 7 to 8. I mean, that's kind of close. <laughs> I just, everything in me wanted to run to the rescue. That's what, that's what you do as parents, right? But I knew I couldn't get there in time. I couldn't. So what did we do? We remembered who's on the throne. As we, Lisa and I lay there in bed, I'm just, I'm just praying and saying, God, please help Carter. Please help my son. Please help him rest. Please help him to find his peace and his rest in you. You guys, whatever we face in this life, God is bigger. And when we forget that Jesus is on the throne, what do we do? Man, I don't know about you, but then I, I start trying to control things. I start trying to fix everything. I feel this immense pressure and weight. And as a father, as a, as a parent, of course, you, some of that we should feel. But who's our father? Who do we go to? When we can't keep it together, when we don't know what to do or how to fix it. I was just telling someone earlier before the services, man, it was easy when they were two because you just, and they fell on the sidewalk because you just put a, you kissed it and you put a Band-Aid on it. But you can't put in a, a Band-Aid on anxiety or depression or cancer or a job loss. But we can remember who's on the throne. It's why our number one value here at the chapel is to depend on God, to live lives of prayer, knowing that he's in charge, he's still in charge, he's, he's standing victorious 
on Mount Zion. And that's the vision that John is given here. And it's the first step for you and I to walk through pain and suffering and to be able to continue to be a witness for him. Remember who's on the throne. But that leads to a second one. Sing a song in the, in, of joy in the face of suffering. Look at, the, look at the text. It says, John says, And I heard a sound from heaven, and it was like a roar of mighty ocean waves or the rolling of loud thunder. It was like the sound of many harpists, he says. And who was singing? It says, The great choir sang a wonderful new song in front of the throne of God and before the four living beings and the 24 elders that were there. And it says, no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. You guys, listen, there are some songs, people can mouth the words, but until you've been redeemed, until God has done something in your life, unspeakable, miraculous, rescuing you from your own sin, your own messes, your own circumstances, and giving you hope and life and forgiveness and freedom. When you experience that, there's a song that only the redeemed can sing. And what John witnesses here in heaven, remember, this is, this is in the midst of like judgments and trumpets being blown and angels uh, pro- pro- proclaiming judgment and plagues and This is all that's going to be happening in this time frame that John is looking ahead to. And yet in the midst of all that, what's happening? God's people are singing. They're singing. Now, this is not like, oh, let's just, um, I know it's really crazy and rough out there and I got cancer or, or, or my child's an addict or, you know, and so let's just go to church and just sing, you know, make it all better. No, this is like living in the reality of pain and suffering and yet defiantly almost. Saying, God, I will praise you anyway. I will praise you anyway. No matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm going through. It's the words of Job who said, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. You want to stand out in the midst of pain and suffering? Sing a song. I remember a couple years ago, uh, I was meeting up with a couple friends. One of them had moved down to southern Ohio. He was working at a, in a discipleship ministry down there. And uh, he was up back in town, and he brought some of his coworkers. And he wanted us to meet them. And, and uh, so we met up for lunch, and we're standing in line ready to get food. And no lie... This guy that he brought with him, that's kind of like the director of this ministry, he's standing there and he starts singing. Now, I'm not talking like, you know, just like a little, you know, under, underneath your breath. Like, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. I mean, he's just singing. And I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian, and I'm like, stop. I mean, I didn't say that out loud, but I'm like, you're embarrassing me. Like, dude, like, what is this guy doing? And he's just, he's just singing, and I'm kind of like embarrassed. I'm like, what is going on? And then I look over at him, and his, his face was just like radiant. 
He wasn't looking around. Like, he wasn't doing this to try to impress other people. He wasn't doing it to be noticed. Just there in the Panera line, just, I love you, Lord. In that moment, I, I went from being embarrassed to being jealous. Like I, I, wish, I wish there was just such a song in my heart that I just had to let it out and, and it, it wouldn't matter where I was or who was around. It was beautiful. It was powerful. It's the song of the redeemed. This was the song that, that they were singing before the throne, before the one that was seated on the throne. You see, that's what motivates our song, is that there is somebody that occupies the throne, even in the midst of suffering or pain. That we can sing a song in the face of suffering. Tim Keller is one of our favorite authors here at the chapel. We quote him often. But he, he recently wrote an article for The Atlantic that gained some traction, not just with followers of Jesus, but with, with the outside world at large. And th these were Tim Keller's words. He said, I can sincerely say without any sentimentality or exaggeration that I've never been happier in my life, that I've never had more days filled with comfort. And you say to yourself, oh, well, good for you, Tim. Must be nice. What if I told you that the title of the article was Growing My Faith in the Face of Death? For those of you who don't know, Tim Keller, uh, over a year ago, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. I mean, that's, that's one of the worst kinds. And yet, those were his words. Those words. I can sincerely say without any sentimentality or exaggeration that I've never been happier in my life, that I've had more days filled with comfort. And he continues to write, and he continues to preach, and he continues to share. And the things that Tim Keller used to say about walking through pain and suffering, now he's living it. And people no longer can wave their finger and go, oh, well, that's easy for you to say because you're not going through what I'm going through. But now he is staring death in the face and he's singing a song. He's remembering who occupies the throne and he's singing a song in the face of suffering. And you guys, you and I, we can too. In fact, we must. It's imperative. There is a, a hurting, dying, broken world out there. There's people that are watching your life. They're listening to the song of your life. Years ago, uh, Casting Crowns came out with a song called Life Song. It says, May my life song sing to you. I wonder, what's the song of my life, of your life? What does it sound like to the people around you that don't know Jesus yet? And when, man, when, when pain and suffering get turned up, does our volume just fade? 
Or like you do in a car when things are getting loud and you, you can't hear the song, what do you do? Turn it up. Turn it up. Man, what would happen if we just turned it up in our lives, even in the face of suffering? Powerful. And that leads to a, a third thing that I see in the text. First, live as though Jesus occupies the throne. Sing a song of joy in the face of suffering. And then finally, follow in Jesus' footsteps. Look at what it says. I love this, this part of the text. Verse 4, it says, and it's describing those 144,000 that are singing this song of the redeemed. It says, and they have kept themselves pure as virgins. Catch this. Following the Lamb wherever he goes. It says they have been purchased from among the people on the earth as a special offering to God and to the Lamb. They've told no lies. They are without blame. They were marked. They were set apart. He says they're pure as virgins. Like they were, they separated themselves in such a way. It doesn't mean that they took themselves out of the world. In fact, they were still very much in it. And they were, they, were, they were in the midst of the suffering and the hardship. And it says, in the midst of all that, though, they didn't cave. Like, it's so easy to do, isn't it? When life gets hard, we want to go back. Back to who we used to be. Back to our old ways. Back to the things that we used to lean on. The things that we used to do. And, and John looks at these, these witnesses and he says, they kept themselves. And how do they do that? They just kept following the lamb. They kept following the lamb wherever he went. And here's the thing about the lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Sometimes he will lead us even into places of suffering. One pastor put it this way. They said, sometimes God will allow things to happen to you so that he can do something in you so that he might do something amazing through you. Let me say it one more time. Sometimes God will allow things to happen to you in order to do something in you so that he can then do something miraculous and powerful through you. Now, I'm not saying that every hardship, every moment of suffering, every pain that you face is like an on-purpose move of God for a greater purpose. There's, we just live in a broken world, and there is suffering, and there is pain. But sometimes God will allow some things in order to do something in us in order to do something through us. And what if it's to be his witnesses? What if God leads us through hardship in order to comfort us so that we can comfort others with the same comfort that we have received? What if God wants to use your pain? What if God wants to use your mess for his message? And these 
these followers, they just continued to follow the lamb wherever he went, even into suffering. Now, we don't like suffering. I, I think about in the Gospels, Jesus has been betrayed. He's about to be uh, arrested. And it says, and Simon Peter drew his sword and slashed off the ear of Malchus, the high priest, uh, the, the, the high priest slave. So Jesus is about to be led to the cross. He's about to suffer. He's, he's being arrested. And Peter's like, oh, no, you didn't. Not my Jesus. And he's like, let's go, guys. And he's ready to fight. And at first glance, I think, yeah, that sounds good. Let's go, right? And sometimes we as Christ followers, we think, well, to be on Jesus' teams, it means a fight. <laughs> but look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back into its sheath. He said, shall I not drink from the cup of suffering the Father has given me? Jesus was reminding Peter, to stand for me does not always mean a fight. Sometimes standing for me, sometimes following Jesus means embracing suffering. And Peter learned that lesson because later in, in his own letter to the churches in 1 Peter 2.21, he said, For God has called you to do good even if it means suffering, just as Christ is for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. They followed the lamb wherever he went. What will people say about you and I? when we face our own seasons of suffering and pain? Will, will, will they say, man, Todd, he knew he was on the throne. He knew who was on the throne. He had hope. Man, he faced it, but he was secure. When, when we face seasons of suffering, will people see us singing a song? Listen, you don't got to sing at Panera, okay? But, but your life is a song. Turn it up. Even when you're hurting. And will people continue to see us living blameless lives, following in Jesus' footsteps, wherever he leads, even if it's through the fire? even if it's through the deepest waters. This is the way that you and I hold up the eternal gospel by the way we live in the midst of our suffering. I told you earlier, Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus went on to say, but take heart, take courage, because I have overcome the world. Jesus is victorious. And so because he is, we can be too. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you that you love us. God, I don't pretend to know what people in this room might be facing or people that